May you this day be blessed. Hi there, I'm Sister Catherine Herms and thank you for joining me today as we explore the love that is the heart of the world and the work of the heart that helps us become this love and discover it in the world so that all the world becomes to us like the miraculous burning bush. We have been invisibly stamped with the signature, the seal of the God who bends over us with such tenderness. I call this work of the heart, heart work. Heart work exists because people realize they've come to a place in their life where they, they want spiritual direction. Maybe there are too many options, or maybe there seems to be no options at all. Perhaps they have new eyes to see, or perhaps they're longing for this new sight. Some have touched the sunrise within their soul and want more. Others are longing for this spiritual gift. Sometimes our hearts are filled with nagging questions that run like background music in our life. Do I matter to God? Does God see me? Does God hear me? Does God get what's happening to me and what it means? In heart work, we answer the essential question, who am I now in this situation of my life and in these relationships? To learn more about heart work and what God has led me to do in the world, or just to stay in touch, visit touchingthesunrise.com. These past few days, I've been reading a lot about silence and thinking a lot about silence. There's very little silence today from the noise that we find in social media, conversations, talk radio, um, emails, uh, just so much commentary, conjecture, assumptions, fears, just the burdens of concern and the burdens of um, almost proliferating uh, explanations for what has happened or um, fears about what is going to happen to us. And at the bottom of all this is almost a runaway thinking process that we collectively here in the United States are, in my opinion, engaging in. And it's so easy to do, right? We we have tremendous worries that we're all carrying in this very strange summer that we're living together and looking forward to what we know now may be many months of waiting to be freed from this uh, worry about the pandemic and from even the consequences which will last many, many more months after that. There's a psychological impact that we really can't measure and every one of us bears that to a different degree and in a different way. There's almost a low-grade depression that seems to be hanging over us and and taking up residence in our hearts and sometimes it can be almost like a giving up or a hopelessness and what i wanted to talk about today in relation to that is the power 
of our thoughts because we've all realized that no one outside of us is going to be able to um, convince us that everything's going to be okay. We're going to have to grow in a certain way to be able to hold the worries and the pain and the concern and the financial um, problems and the loss and the grief. And at the root of that is, first of all, thoughts. It's thinking. It's how we think, what kinds of thoughts we have. But even below that, even more grounding is um, how Jesus removes us from those almost sticky, captivating thoughts that in the end pull us down. So today I wanted to talk a little bit about that. If we stop for a moment, we can think about what are some of the thoughts that most recently in my days and these weeks have made me not feel good, have made me feel um, uh, frustrated or made me feel hopeless or almost maybe panicked. What are those kinds of thoughts that come through our mind that are are more than just troublesome? They are um, really problematic. Um, It would be one thing if they just passed through our minds and kept on going, but somehow, at least sometimes, they're like planes that actually land. Uh, We give them a landing strip and they stay. They're sticky thoughts. They're patterns of reflection that have this almost emotionally heavy content to them. And that, that heavy burden weighs us down. Thoughts like these become like sticky traps or like glue boards, the kind that we use to catch rodents who've made their nest in our house. We become caught in the cycle of negativity and at times nastiness or hopelessness. We're trapped sometimes by the stickiness that won't let these thoughts be released, that won't let our hearts be freed from their deadening weight. So I was thinking about why we keep holding on to these sticky thoughts with this vice grip why we, we have it so difficult a time letting them go. And, and I'd like to propose three reasons that I came to, that we've been convinced that these sticky thoughts make complete sense, that they do make sense to our rational mind and at times to our egos that believes at least sometimes that we're better, that others don't get it that someone else should pay for what they did to us. All of that on one level makes sense. And because it makes sense, it's hard to let those thoughts go. Another thing I discovered is that nasty thoughts are like a poison. And to save ourselves from their toxicity, sometimes we share that poison with others. We almost take it out of ourselves and give it to someone else to carry for us. We convince ourselves by doing this though, even more of their truthfulness. And and in the end, we kind of build up a false facade 
um, of something that just isn't true. But we need to keep it up. We need to believe that it's true. And so it's hard to let those thoughts go. Um, and third, sometimes it's hard to let them pass by us when we share our negative stories about others, um, ourself, about situations, and we end up causing others to think negatively. And so what happens is we almost create this snowball effect, a snowball racing down a hill, and we can't stop it because it is impossible to take back things that we've shared with others, words that have once been spoken. There's this image um, that I've had that represents in my heart, for me, this distorted falseness. And that image comes from the person of Jesus. I see him dusting, um, cleaning, rearranging. He's in my heart that at times is filled with these sticky glue traps of emotionally laden, passionate thinking. And he's happy. He's humming. He's non-possessive. He's in a heart that to me, I, I just wish was not this way. And he shows me that it's not a big deal to him that this sticky mess is not a big deal to him. It's a big deal only to me. He knows it will be different when he is through cleaning and rearranging the furniture, dusting, preparing, rebuilding, recreating. So what does Jesus know that I forget? From the letter to the Ephesians, I love this, this verse Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus, all because he sees us wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate him with all our hearts, and he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. That's from the Passion Translation of the Bible, which I, I truly love for the freshness um, of the language that somehow helps us recapture the freshness of our relationship with God. So Jesus can remove me gently from my sticky, captivating thoughts um, because Jesus reveals to me who I am. These, these types of thoughts that are charged with the energy of the passions, they tend to boast a power that um, almost deflects us from our basic goodness, which is God's gift to us, in that he sees us wrapped into Christ. He sees us wrapped into Christ. When we think of the parable of the prodigal son, both the younger son who ran away 
and the older son who remained but was very angry that the father celebrated the return of the prodigal son um, who worked really hard and was upset that he didn't get what he felt he was entitled to. Um, Both of these sons of this loving father remind us that we need to remember that we have been lavished with sonship. We may feel more like the younger son who ran away or like the older son who's holding the fort and no one seems to notice or care. But both realities, both of those sons and we need to remember that we are lavished with the gift of sonship, that we were chosen to be the Father's very own by Him, and that we are seen as holy in His eyes with an unstained innocence. And we're in the month of August here, and we've been living through this pandemic since February and March. So there's, we haven't, many of us been to communion, um, been to mass, and so there, there can feel like there's this buildup of unfinished business and a buildup of um, something within us that we don't like, that's dark, that's heavy, that's burdened, that's, that feels in, intensely the lack of that connection and relationship with sacramental relationship with God that we once enjoyed. And so it is a beautiful thing to hear these words of Paul that assure us that we are seen as holy in the Father's eyes and that in His eyes, we still have this unstained innocence. Jesus, the one who recreates and rehabilitates this sticky mess of my life, at this point, now, here, he possesses me. He possesses you. And St. Paul says, I belong to him. He writes in the fourth chapter of the letter to the Ephesians, if you have really experienced the anointed one, and heard his truth, it will be seen in your life. For we know that the ultimate reality is embodied in Jesus. And he has taught you to let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man, the old self-life, which was corrupted by sinful and deceitful desires that spring from delusions. Now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you and to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and live in union with him. For God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness and you now belong to him in the realm of true holiness. So discard every form of dishonesty and lying so that you will be known as one who always speaks the truth. For we all belong to one another. We humans sometimes, we we have this negativity bias, meaning that 
the, the bad things that we see and hear and experience far outweigh in our minds consciousness, the positive and pleasurable experiences. I know that my angry reaction to a perceived slight will stick with me longer than any meditation on being the delight of the Lord. The negative and nasty things we remember make it just about impossible to see beyond to what is most true about ourselves and others, the goodness that is most truly who we are. If we know that this is true about the human mind and heart, it is only through an intentional focusing of our thoughts and our leaps of the heart on what is most true that will eventually yield happiness and true holiness in our lives. So here are some tips for intentionally focusing on the freeing power of truth. One is to end the day by listing three positive and delightful things that happened in your life and in the lives of those around you. Um, the second thing would be when you notice any negativeness to immediately replace it by stating what is true. For example, I believe you, Jesus, are here, or I know, Jesus, that you are in him or her at this very moment. Show me your face. And third, we can go a step further and say to someone, you are interiorly having a difficult time appreciating one thing you want them to know about themselves that is truly a gift they are sharing with others. We all know that it doesn't take much energy to be negative. Um, we don't even have to lift a finger. It's easy to be negative. It's, it's appreciative watchfulness. It's intentional kindness that takes effort, at least at first. But once appreciation and delightful kindness begin to flow through our thoughts and hearts, it will easily wash away the negativity and our hearts, our relationships, and our health will once again begin to flourish. All of this reminds me of the cross and I think of the way the cross has appeared in my life. It's almost been this wrestling match between Jesus and the passions that pummel my heart. A wrestling match between the force of love and the shadows of darkness. Jesus has wrestled with the immaturity in my heart and with the prejudice in my mind. I know that I was untested and unable to respond to him wholly without this lifelong struggle of repentance in which I discovered my limits and the wondrous call to become fully human in Christ, a call that was beyond my human limits. The wounds of love that I bear from experiencing the cross these alone could bring me to the glory and the joy of Christ's vision for my life. So I've learned three things from watching this wrestling match between Jesus who actually has been fighting for my very life in these crosses through the years. 
I learned that when life is brought to a shabby wreck through illness and failure and fractured human relationships, the bitter awareness of sin or fear, uncertainty, it is this paradoxically, it is this place then that is my great hope. Jesus has given me the gift of sight to see beyond the visible to his invisible love at work in the most difficult and dark of places in my life. I learned that the Jesus defeats my logic and he has led me out of the prison of having to understand everything. The cross, as it appears in our life, is often illogical compared to what we think should happen. To realize that the conclusions of my rational mind are incomplete, to open myself to paradox, and to silently wait for understanding to be given to me has brought much anguish, but slowly I have learned that Jesus can be trusted. And finally, I've learned that the situation that has defeated me has only done so that I might see how Jesus fights for me, that he himself might be the one who triumphs in my life. The cross is essentially how God works in and through the way things are to defeat the darkness that still struggles for the upper hand in my life. I have been blessed to realize, at least in my better moments, that I want to let God act. In the words of Job, I am finally able to say, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. So on this uh, weekend, these days around August 15th, which is the Feast of the Assumption, we think of Mary who who stood with her son as he hung on the cross and, and how from heaven as queen, as mother, she stands here now with each of us as we are on our crosses. So whether the cross enters our life through loss, failure, sin, illness, pandemic, lockdown, relationships, Mary is with us because she knows our sorrow. She herself has lived through the agony of this moment-by-moment struggle to, to make sense of pain, to struggle to find a way forward, to reframe what is happening into something that our minds can comprehend. And she knows the final leap of faith, the only thing that can make sense of this hand-to-hand combat that we call our life. My crosses have become my blessings only because of this strong and tender presence of the mother given to me at the foot of the cross of Jesus and who now reigns forever in heaven as queen. She is a strong woman who teaches me how reliable God is and how ultimately secure I am in saying to him, I give myself absolutely to you, O Lord. Do with me as you will. There is no easy way promised to us as we whisper these words, trembling perhaps, but wanting to give him everything. But it is God himself who who guarantees our ultimate and absolute trust. 
When we have gotten to the end of our rope and the bottom of our heart, where we find emptiness alone, God himself can take over where we have discovered ourselves impotent. He who has chosen us before the foundation of the world to be holy will guarantee that we are so if we but repeat with every breath of our life. I give myself absolutely to you, O Lord. Do with me what you will. Sometimes we can feel as though we were lost in a deep forest where no clear paths are visible. A blend of spiritual guidance, mentorship, and counseling, the Heartwork community is a place where you learn to explore, love, open, and nourish the paradise of your heart, your deep heart, where God is already dwelling within you. You will discover that though you waited for light to appear from outside, the paths of light are imprinted in your heart where the Trinity abides, and we learn to walk them through the valleys and mountaintops of lived experience. Heartwork is a process of accompaniment that honors your story, creates a space in which you can safely explore what is happening with you, gain the tools to come home to your heart where the Trinity is already at work, be recreated by love, and set out again. To learn more about Heartwork and what God has led me to do in the world, or just to stay in touch, visit touchingthesunrise.com.